0: Chapter twenty five of Black Oxen by Gertrude Atherton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter twenty five. When a man has cultivated a practical and methodical habit of mind and body, he pursues the accustomed tenor of his way, whatever the ferment of his spirit. Clavering's spirit was mercurial, but long since subject to his will and it would no more have occurred to him to neglect his regular work, because he was in love, and a state of suspense, than to put on petticoats and walk up Fifth Avenue. It might be better or worse under foreign impact, but it would be done, and all else banished for the hour. There were times when he wrote better surrounded by the stimulations of the office, when he was neither fagged nor disturbed, he worked at home. During this week of incertitudes he rose late, lunched with friends at the sign of the Indian chief, a restaurant where the cleverest of them, and those who were so excitedly sure of their cleverness, that for the moment they convinced others, as well as themselves, foregathered daily. Then he went to the office and wrote or talked to other men, until it was time to dine. He could always be sure of companionship for the evening— on his day off he took a train out into the country and walked for hours there was a great deal of scintillating talk in his group on the significant books and tendencies of the day and if the talk of french youth in their clubs before the revolution may possibly have been profounder and more far-reaching in its philosophy more formulative in its plan of action owing to a still deeper necessity for change in the social order the very fact that these brilliant young Americans had no personal grievance, but merely sharpened their wits on matters in which they were intelligent enough to take an interest, served their cleverness from becoming mordant, or distorted by passion. It was an excellent forcing-house for ideas and vocabulary. But their most solemn causeries were upon the vital theme of the American reputation in letters. past present future this was the age of youth should any of the old reputations be permitted to live on save in the favour of the negligible public if so which all the recent reputations they would have liked to pronounce equally great merely on account of their commendable newness but they were too conscientious for that they appraised debated rejected finally placed the seal of their august approval upon a favoured few Clacks were arranged if the public were obtuse the future a few a very few were selected from the older group Many more from the younger and ordained to survive and shed their undying beams for posterity from these judicial pronouncements there was no appeal and the pleasant spaces of the sign of the Indian chief so innocuous to the uninitiated eye, was a veritable charnel-house that stank in the nostrils of the rejected. But, inconsistent even as life itself, those melancholy graves were danced over by the sprightly young feet of the elect. Sometimes there was a terrifying upheaval in one of those graves. A dismal figure fought his way out, tore off his cerements, and stalked forth, muttering, "'But I stride on, or steer. No hope I have, no fear,' leaving a puzzled uneasiness behind him. But, for good or ill, it was a matter for congratulation that criticism was at last being taken seriously in the United States. There was a jazz-party at the studio of a hospitable girl artist where Clavering danced with several of the prettiest young actresses of recent Broadway fame, until dawn, and drank enough to make him as wild as the rest of the party had it not been for the seasoned apparatus inherited from hard-drinking southern ancestors. Altogether, he gave himself little time for thought, and if he felt at times an inclination to dream, he thrust it from him with an almost superstitious fear. He would speculate no longer, but neither would he run the risk of invoking the laughter of cynical gods if unimaginable disaster awaited him at least he would not weaken his defences by a sojourn in the paradise of fools he avoided oglethorpe and dinwiddie and although he had engaged himself to dine at the goodrich's on thursday night he sent an excuse on Thursday morning, as he was turning over the pages of one of the newspapers, his eye was arrested by the name Zattiany. He never read society paragraphs, but that name would leap to his eyes anywhere. The announcement was as brief as social notes always are in the daily editions of the morning papers. Mrs. Oglethorpe gives a luncheon tomorrow at her house in Gramercy Park to the Countess Zattiany of Vienna. "'So!' she had satisfied mrs. Oglethorpe that was one on Dinwiddie on the following night He bought himself an admission ticket to the Metropolitan Opera House and entered at the close of the second act as He had half expected she was in mrs. Oglethorpe's box and it was crowded with men He fancied that his older friend looked both glum and amused as for Dinwiddie his expression was half-witted he went home and took a bromide. Sleep, being a function, is outside the domain of the will, and he had had little of it since Tuesday, and sleep he must, if he was to be in alert command of his faculties on the following night. End of chapter 25